Welcome back to the Fastest Known Podcast, where every Friday for 30, sometimes 40 minutes, we have conversations with some of the most interesting people in the sport. And today is no exception. Back for round two, we have Josh Sanders from Kalamazoo, Michigan. Welcome, Josh. Hey, pumped to be here. Well, Josh, I'm from Kalamazoo, so it's kind of fun to find a person who's doing these gigantic projects from my hometown in the Midwest. Yeah, it's fun. I, I figured it out today. We're just a couple of Kalamazoo kids with 30 combined FKTs, so that, that's pretty cool for oh, the okay. flatland world. It's conceivable. We're the only Kalamazoo kids with FKTs. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to get into your uh, most recent project in the Grand Canyon, which people have heard about, but let's, let's just kind of set the stage here a little bit. You started off doing a lot of local routes, some rail trails, for people who don't know, uh, uh, Rails to Trails is a great project. I'm a member. I'm a donating member of the Rails to Trails Foundation. And Michigan is stated that wants to become, or stated it is the Rails to Trails state. And this is when they convert old railroad grades that have long had the rails pulled out. But the grade is still there. The right-of-way is still there. So they do these wonderful trails right through sometimes developed areas. Yeah, it's, it's really awesome because you don't have any vehicular traffic. And Michigan and, and the Midwest tends to be fairly flat anyway. So to get the opportunity to run with no traffic on those open trails, you know, getting out in the woods, you know, it's a nice break from you know, training on you know, roads or anything like that. Right. I'm going to put, come to think of it, the link to the Rail to Trails Foundation on the show notes. So people can join if they want to, and they can look up rail trails in their area because th- I think they're in almost all 50 states. I'm not sure about that, but Michigan has probably 20 rail trail routes. Uh, Nebraska has the Cowboy Trail. I mean, they have some big, big routes. Yeah, Michigan does have the most miles of rail to trail of any state. Okay, all right. So you did things that other people might not have heard of, you know, the Waterloo Pickney Trail and... Uh, the Hart Montague Trail, Lakeshore Trail, then all of a sudden, boom, run across Panama, 14 hours, 12 minutes. So you had to, you kind of mix it up a little bit there. Yeah, so there's there's some good local stuff, the rail trails, uh, but I'm, I'm very much a nature mountain type of guy, an adventure type of guy. So it'll be a, a rail trail one week, and then you know I'll be off running Black Mountain Crest Trail, highest trail in the east, or you know most 14ers climbed in a day. You know, so it's, I, I like to, you know, be in the local scene as much as possible and then kind of dream up cool things like how quickly can I run across the continent ocean to ocean by using the Panama Isthmus. So that is really it, isn't it? You ran across the continent. Yeah, yeah. We, we <laughs> call it like the, the trans-oceanic run, um, you know, the fastest transcontinent. Like, obviously, that's a, you know, some people might say Pete Kostelnik and his, you know, a 3,000 mile run across the country was a little harder than our 50 miler across Panama, but you know, we were faster. Is there a road across <laughs> Panama? Um, there is, you basically have to link highways. Uh-huh. But what's interesting about Panama is they're not all on their phones while they're driving. So you would think it would be crazier, but when I'm running down just a typical road in Kalamazoo, you know, I'm watching everybody on their phones kind of terrified, whereas in Panama, you know, they're all actually on the wheel, so it might actually be less dangerous. Okay. But yeah, it's, it's unfortunately through the jungle. There's not a good trail. It's, it, it was an incredible experience. It was cool to be the first documented 
uh, person to do it. I, I'd be shocked if there wasn't some kid who loved to run in Panama who didn't do this at some point in their life. But um, it was just, it was really fun to do, but it's a one and done, you know, just dirty kind of road run. I, I wouldn't go back, but it was an awesome experience. Well, if anyone wants to run across an entire continent, your time is at a little over 14 hours. Yeah, I was I was heat stroking pretty good. So so that's a very beatable FKT if you want a heck of an adventure. But a tougher one, again, here you are from the Midwest. We are elevation six hundred and twenty feet above sea level. Yep. You climbed the most fourteeners in one twenty four hour period. Yeah. So do you have a hyperbaric chamber or do you just <laughs> zip out there and hit it? Yeah, I, I acclimated for a few days. Ah, so a few days. Yeah. You know that doesn't quite <laughs> count. I hate to give you the bad news, but I guess it didn't really matter. You well, did psychologically, it. I told myself ah. that, you know, those red blood cells triple every 24 hours. So I'm not sure if the, the medical community is behind that one, but, you know, it worked in the head. There, the, well, uh, uh, hmm, trying to is ethically... Is it like 18, 19 days or something like right, that? Right, it is. Yeah. I'm trying to ethically decide whether <laughs> I should say, no, that doesn't work. But the placebo effect yeah. is known to be very effective. So how many 14ers did you do in 24 hours? Uh, 10, because poor Cameron doesn't count. Mm-hmm. I always felt a little bit bad for Cameron, um, but without the uh, the prominent. So so 11 named, but but we count 10. Gotcha. Now, Nolan's 14, of course, a more, more famous route. Uh, that is within 60-hour time limit. So that's 14 14ers with a 60-hour time limit. And you did 10 or 11 in uh, less than 24 hours. Yep, and Nolan's is my number one want to go after. Uh, In fact, for all the adventures I've had this year, all the FKTs, all the crazy things, that was number one. And I just, with with family, didn't have time to scout it properly. So that that was probably the biggest bummer of my year is not getting to go for that. And and it was just a family thing where I just, I couldn't get away as much as I was already getting away. Uh, But I want to go after Nolan's more more than anything. That's stout. Oh yeah, that's that's fierce, and, and and that's what I want. Like I want that adventure. Give me something gnarly, something crazy. We're getting to that. So we're gonna, we're gonna come into that uh, good description of your recent adventure, recent two adventures in the Grand Canyon. But continuing to add a little context here, you go from these the Chief Illini Trail. Yeah, yeah. Pronounce that right. Chief Illini Trail. You got it. Illini Trail in Illinois to the 48 contiguous state high points. So you have the record on that. Yeah, the U.S. state high points was my first ever FKT. Um, and, and that was more just, uh, I got into you know mountain climbing before even ultra running. Uh, so it, it was somewhat serendipitous because I set the U.S. high pointing record. You know, Obviously, the highest point of Maine is Katahdin, the northern terminus of the Appalachian Trail. And I got there 45 minutes before or after Jurek set the AT record. You got there right after Jurek set Right. So I met Jurek. I caught up to him on the way down because I, I had no idea what ultra running was. I was just thinking mountain climbing was cool. I didn't want to take 10 years to climb all the high points. So I just figured, okay, I'll just break the speed record, do it all in three weeks because um, I lack patience. And then, you know, meeting Jurek on the way down, like he's you know, one of the nicest human beings alive. So, you know, I kind of tongue in cheek said, you know, obviously you could probably crush my new record. So please don't like, let me have this for a little while. And he graciously said, you know, don't break my record. And I was like, huh, don't break yours, you say. 
<laughs> so then well, I just figured to be the, an ultra runner. And... He threw down the gauntlet. <laughs> well, that was extraordinary serendipitous, wasn't it? Yeah, and that's literally how I got into ultra running. Was you met Scott so. Jurek on top of Katahdin. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Okay. Well, your high point, you did 48, and this is some toughies. Obviously, there's Rainier, which is stout. And then probably one of the hardest is granite in Montana. Granite was a bear. And Mm -hmm. and my lack of experience in mountaineering was probably why we made it. Because if I knew what I knew now, you You wouldn't have done it. You shouldn't. That that was not safe. (laughs) Okay. Well, that's 19 days. And then you did some things were just, I'm I'm looking for the adjective. I could go to nutto, to incredible, (laughs) to amazing. But you did, you ran in 13 countries. In one day. And you did one mile runs just, just to make sure. Yep, just to get the full mile in just so we could say it was a run. Yep. And obviously you had to go to Europe to go mm-hmm. 13 countries. Otherwise, uh, you'd have to have a Learjet with quick takeoff <laughs> clearance. And you told me this before, but it came right down to the rivet. It was just crazy. Yeah, it, what appealed to me in that is it's not hard to run 13 miles in a day. Like, yeah, you're running a mile and getting in a car, stiffening up a little bit. But, I mean, that's that's not an athletic accomplishment so much as it's a logistical nightmare. Yeah. Even just yeah. renting vans took 20 hours to figure out what <laughs> models are allowed in Slovenia so we're not, like, stuck at a border. Uh, and then we... we there was a gas station every 10 miles the whole trip. And, you know, a thousand miles of driving or whatever crazy amount of driving it was through just beautiful country. I mean, it was the best drive we've, we've ever had. Um, but then all of a sudden we, we run out of gas. Like there's this one stretch of bizarre Belgium highway where there's no gas station and we just figured there'd be one. And so we're literally tearing across a border, you know, trying to find a gas station open in the middle of the night. You know, we, we somehow made it. Uh, and yeah, that last, when, when we got across the, the Netherlands border, basically, you know, softly crashed the cars into like the side of like the field and just got out and took off. Um, and, and I ran a 540 mile split and I have a picture of my watch at, it would have said 359. So it was still before the clock struck four. Uh, but it also on Strava indicated I started at 354. So it was within 19 seconds. 19 you, you that, that it came down 24 to 24 hours came down to 19 seconds in the Netherlands. Yes, it was really ridiculous okay well speaking of really ridiculous we're getting to that but first uh you also did you're the logistical master aren't you but here's this is a good time because recently we had jared campbell on the podcast mm-hmm. talking about how to prepare for a big project and jared is all about the spreadsheet it's like what do you do? You start with a spreadsheet. You start with a map. You lay it all out. You do your timetable. And indeed, on that podcast from, uh, when was that? It was right the Friday before Thanksgiving, not after Thanksgiving, if you want to look it up. Jared, I provided a link to his spreadsheet template. Hmm. And obviously, you're the spreadsheet maestro as well, aren't you? Yeah, I think I think the elite talent that I lack can be made up for in some of the logistics side of things. There you go. And we, Jared and I talked about that, actually. Tactics in an FKT. And the bigger the project, the more tactics come into play. Absolutely. If, if, you, if you can be smarter, you can work less hard or go less fast. So even if you're trying you know, the same level, you're just not as good as, say, someone like Walmsley or... You, you know, you can make up certain things in certain ways. So even even with Nolan's just scouting and knowing, 
you know, little ways to cut a little bit of time off here and there. And so some of these things, you know, the the 50 states, 5K, 13 countries, you know, those aren't FKTs. There's just too much time driving. Uh, but but that is just fun for me to logistically figure out, can I pull this off? The planning, just the planning phase was fun. Yeah, it's, it's super fun. Well, this is good. So Midwesterners take hope. We're, we're listening to a fellow who lives here at 620 feet above sea level and has climbed the most Colorado 14ers in one 24-hour period and... Our last giant logistical project is you did 50 states also. And this time you ran a 5K in 50 states. Yeah, I was, I was looking for cool things to do a, a few years ago and realized that the fastest anyone had physically stepped foot in all 50 states was six days and 17 hours. So I did the uh, Jared Campbell thing to do, pulled up the spreadsheets and realized, okay, it should really only take four and a half days, <laughs> you know, maybe five. So what am I going to do with 24 hours to spare in each state to make this more interesting and more fun? Uh, and the answer is run a 5K in each state. So obviously it wasn't an official race. It was more we just had our GPS watches to verify we went, you know, five kilometers. So yeah, we, we barely made a flight. There was a six hour delayed flight getting to San Francisco to get to Hawaii. So instead of getting to sit on the Hawaiian beach for five hours and leisurely start, we were literally frantically trying to get there in time because we had all the other flights set up. There's, there's only one flight each day direct from Anchor or from Honolulu to Anchorage. Oh, it's the Alaska and Hawaii thing. Right. So making mm-hmm. sure we hit that flight and, and all the other flights were obviously lined up before we got the van in Seattle to then drive the 48. So it, it was... Very stressful, but we got to Hawaii right about sunset. We got our 5K in. Uh, so I've only been to Hawaii once, and it was for less than three hours. <laughs> but I've run a 5K in Hawaii. Uh, and then off to Alaska, Seattle, and then we just drove around the whole country. And uh, just over six days later, uh, we crossed into Vermont and got a 5K in all 50 states. And that also means that we were the fastest. Uh, I took four friends, uh, and we, we are the fastest to ever physically stand in all the states. And you ran a 5K in each one. Wow, that's amazing logistics. It is, and and that's a lot harder. Like some of the other, I call them adventure races or adventure records. Um, Running a mile 13 times in a day is not that hard. Sitting in the car that long is probably harder. But that was almost a 160-mile week. It was one of the hottest um, weeks of the whole summer. I mean, there were so many. I mean, probably a good 10, 15% of those runs we're over a hundred degree heat index. And then you're just getting right back into the car and having to go. So you're, I mean, I literally think at one point I ate three family size bags of Doritos Cool Ranch. Like, I mean, you're just eating anything you can eat, getting out running back in your car. It was a really wild week. <laughs> All right. Well, this, Peter Backlin also said this to me you know, decades ago. Is Peter is a used to be a physics guy at NOAA, National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. And he loved the problem solving also. Once he bit into a problem, he liked solving it. And of course, like being outside, like running, like the whole activity. But solving problems is really helpful. Of course, Peter's been very successful also. Yeah, there's something about executing on a plan that's incredibly rewarding. Okay. Much like, you know, winning an ultra or setting an FKT, you know, same thing with these, like having this crazy idea, spending tons of time into the logistics and then actually executing on it. That well, is a really cool feeling. Well, let's talk about execution for a second. 
<laughs> so you went for, speaking of Peter, one of our roots, uh, Rim to Rim to Rim Alt, a name I coined because the Rim to Rim to Rim is one of the world-class FKTs, of course, the Kaibab Trail from South Rim of the Grand Canyon down to the river, up to the north and back. You can do it the other direction, but most people start in the South Rim, particularly since the North Rim doesn't have driving access for about uh, six months out of the year. But then the Alt route uses the Bass Trails, which is about uh, 50 miles downstream. Interestingly enough, the elevation profiles are remarkably similar. Mm -hmm. You're still starting the South Rim, crossing the river, going up. But the trails themselves are much, to say much less used is an (laughs) understatement. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like a little footpath, so to speak, while the Kaibab Trail is just, you know, mules. It's this giant tourist highway. The Bass Trail's not at all. Yeah, it is, it is wild. It's remote. You know, where there is a trail, it's faint other than a few areas. You're running up riverbeds. There, there is heavy brush. It, it's, I like to call it wild. It's just a wild route. Right. And some of the, the Coconino Cowboys... Uh, Eric Sensman, Tim Frericks, and Jim Walmsley. You mentioned Walmsley a minute ago. They liked the idea of this. They went up there, up there meaning up from Fat Flagstaff, scouted it, and uh, last year, pretty late in the year, they did it in 12 hours, 20 minutes, which is a pretty good time, pretty good time, because we should note, besides it being much more remote, much wilder, you have to swim across the river. Yep, that's not a warm river. No, no, that is that is definitely the crux of the route. Is it has <laughs> nothing to do with running. It is getting across that river safe. Yeah, because if you mess up, you've really messed up. Yeah, you'll drown, <laughs> which is not the typical hazard for your typical FKT ultra run. Right, right. So you tried this one, was it a month ago? Or less. Yes, I I did it 22 days before my most recent attempt. Okay, 22 days. So I've been like uh, three and a half weeks ago, four weeks ago. Yeah, it was just a hair over three weeks. And and I wasn't going to, this wasn't really on my radar. Uh, Again, being a spreadsheet nerd, I, I, I mean, a nutshell story is, is I'm 37 and at 36, I was like, hey, I'm going to do everything I wanted to do before 40 because I made a list this year. Like, why wait? Like, let's just do it now. So I, I came up with 24 runs, FKTs, adventures that I wanted to have. And I'm like, I'm just going to do it this year and figure out a way. Oh, I see. So this was your bucket list before you turned 40. Yes. I see. And I just didn't, you know, why buy into the arbitrary do it before you're 40? Let's just do it this year and have a crazy year. You, did, you didn't do all 24 in one year. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm only one away now. <laughs> so, <laughs> Silly so, question. Yeah, so the goal, <laughs> you know, some of the goals were, were races. So I wanted to win an ultra marathon in each calendar season. Uh, so I got that done. I had seven adventures, which would be the 50 states 5K, the, the 13 countries. Uh, we, we ran in seven national parks in a day. Just kind of fun they're records, but they're more just really interesting, logistical, cool things to do. Uh, and then I wanted to break, not establish a new only known time, but break uh, at least a dozen FKTs. At least a dozen. Yes. And I got that. I was actually in England. Uh, I took a group over there to run in all five countries of the home nations, which is the UK plus Ireland. So we ran a 5K in all five of those in one day, took the ferry across the Irish Sea. And while I was there, I ran uh, FKT on the Thames down link. Uh because when in England, you may as well you know, go after that one, which was an incredible experience. One of the muddiest trails I've ever run. It, it was wild. It was crazy. 
Um, so I, I have almost got everything done except for, for one race here. But my stretch goal was I, I wanted to try and get nominated for the National Geographic Adventure of the Year. Oh, I Which see. is arbitrary and really hard to do. Like there's not a set process for it, but that was my litmus test. So if something would help my resume for that, I would do it. And if not, I didn't. So with that as the litmus test, I felt like that was kind of a cool idea. So my original plan was TransZion because uh, Andrew Skirka got that uh, and he well, obviously is National Geographic Adventure of the Year a few years back. Uh, but there's Rockfall uh, and that, that uh, East Rim Trail is closed. It's been closed for months. It's clearly not opening by, by winter. So I was really bummed because the two biggest things this year were Nolan's which I, I was already traveling too much, couldn't fit scouting in. And then TransZion, which, you know, darn it, now there's Rockfall, and I'm not going to get this in. Well, I, that's in, I didn't know this. And, of course, quick note, the East Rim Trails close and the popular Weeping Rock Observation Point, yep. uh, Hidden Canyon, which are the really fun, smaller trails mm-hmm. coming out of the valley, are con- closed as well. So you can't even go up to Observation Point. Yeah. Which, which is a huge bummer, um, but, but obviously, you know, they, they'll clear it when it's safe to clear it. But, but so I'm looking around at what can I do that would be really epic. And just this route, everything about this route screamed that type of adventure, that type of logistics. Um, you know, Walmsley has the, the corridor, like the main Kaibab yeah. trail record in under six hours. You're this, not going to get that. No. <laughs> and this one is over 12 so I, I'm sure he was pushing a little harder, you know, obviously on the main route, but still that just kind of lets you know, you know, this was literally twice as long for the FKT. That's how much crazier this route right. is with that swim. So I'm just kind of looking at the adventure of it, you know, seeing the logistics and, and I'm like, I got to go for it. This is one of those things that could be, you know, kind of that, that signature one. So I just did the research, went down there and it ended up being definitely the most interesting uh, running day of my entire life. Well, I should note that when people go for some of the bigger FKTs, they usually and should send in a quick note to fastestknowntime.com to announce it. And In fact, I should note that for 2020, we're going to make a list of some of the signature FKTs hmm. and literally require that, require a higher standard of transparency and documentation for things like rim to rim to rim, JMT, and things of that yep. nature. We'll probably pick like just 10 of them and that will not be to enforce anything that will be to protect the people who are doing it Mm -hmm. because you don't really want to get questioned it's just annoying and pointless but that'll just be for some of the bigger ones the rim to rim to rim alt will not be in that category i don't (laughs) think because that's just going to attract people like you although after this podcast it might attract a few more people so when i looked at that when you sent it in you sent in your schedule i thought uh oh, <laughs> this is a little ambitious. It wasn't the time, the crossing, but you flew out of Michigan on a Saturday, and you were planning on flying out of Las Vegas on a Sunday evening. That meant to make these airplane connections, you had to break the time of one of the best ultra runners in the world. And yeah. if you didn't do that, you weren't going to make that connection. Yeah, it was ambitious, and and even for the smaller routes. Um, I like to send an email, you know, a DM, just saying, hey, I'm going, just to establish that connection. Good. So even though, excellent. Even though, you know, you and Peter had done this before and had broken it, I mean, you established this route. So I wanted to reach out and say, you know, thanks for establishing this really cool route, you know, kind of connect with the history of it. Um, but yeah, like I have two kids, a two and four year old. So I'm, I'm trying to balance, you know, my, my career with 
also being a 50% stay-at-home dad and, you know, making sure I'm with the, the kids as much as possible. Wow. So that really came down to, okay, I'll fly out there and then run this real quick and then get back in my car, get to the airport and fly back. We'll do it in 48 hours. We know, I should note that driving from the South Bass Trailhead to the airport to McCarran International is about six hours, isn't it? Yeah, it's and it's interesting because in Colorado, when you're driving to some of those trailheads, they'll say, okay, this is a rough road. Which means if I've got a Subaru I'm going to do, it's going to be just fine, right? South Bass Trail, I just, this they is, mean it. This is a whole different level. Like, I've taken cars where cars should never have gone in Colorado. And this, I, I don't know what I would have would have done without a, an actual truck. This is a nasty, yeah. just unbelievably rutted sideway. I mean, it's it's the, the actual park service um, page on the Bass Trail says... You know, it might be more of an adventure getting to the trailhead than actually, and and they were not lying. Do not take a car; you won't make it. I should note that uh, the, the crux time really is in the spring. It's warm. It's, it could be hot. It could be ninety degrees. But if there's lingering snow, which there usually is at that elevation, there's mud. Yep, mud. You cannot do it in any vehicle. Basically, that's why there's ruts. Is people trying to do it. So fall is actually a little easier, or you have to wait till it gets really hot in yeah. May. Okay, so you uh, you gave it a shot, though. Yeah, so I got down there, you know, slept a few hours in the truck and, and went for it. And I had two different GPS units. I had all of the, you know, the Cowboys GPS's files on there. I had the Trail Runner app files on there. But I wasn't expecting, especially in the dark going down, just how difficult the route finding would be. So it was never like I was lost in a different canyon. It was more like I couldn't find the right route because there'd be some brush. And in the light, I'm sure I would have seen it much better, but I, I really struggled getting down there. Uh, and, and you know when you're in that canyon, GPS can be a it, little It finicky. bounces. It, just, it can bounce a bit. Yeah. So there'd be times I'd be right on the wall of a canyon 200 feet below the rim, but it would look like it was just to my left. And I'm sitting here questioning, should I be up on top of this plateau and drop down later? So it was, it was more route finding in in like a frustrating way than I was really planning on. Uh, So when I got to the river, I I was half an hour later than I wanted to be, which was just so frustrating because when you're chasing, you know, Walmsley has the rim to rim to rim record. Frerichs currently has the rim to rim record. Um, you know, so so these guys, you, yeah. you can't spot you can't spot them half an hour, even if they, you know, I, they weren't racing this no. FKT. No, but they, 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 they were out having a good. We should know the three guys were out having a good time and doing a great route. Yeah, so they they put down a tough training run. Yeah, but but they could have gone faster. And but that's the opening for you know somebody like me who at best might be sub elite or regionally good, whatever you want to call it. Is you know if they didn't truly race it. You know, especially in that transition of the river where they were, you know, having fun, taking their time, doing their things to get it right. I felt like I could be really efficient, waste no time, get right across the river. Um, so it hadn't rained in maybe three weeks. It had been really, really dry. So the river was, I, I mean, nice and that greenish blue. Clear, there was clear. no mud, clear. Um, you know, it was, I crossed right before. Uh, Not as close to the South Bass Rapids as they did. I I studied their GPS uh, and reports pretty well. So I moved basically two uh, little rivets down uh, as far as like the down climb to the river. So I could. What do you mean down? Downstream or upstream? uh, It would be downstream. Okay. So I was definitely, I was going to take no chance of getting caught in the South Bass Rapids. Like you should definitely start west of the South Bass Rapids. But I actually started further 
to the west than they did, probably by maybe 100 meters. But there was less rapids. Like the rapids had started to kind of uh, slow down, get a little more calm where I was. And that's something that on their blog they suggested. So I kind of took their advice just to, to kind of stay out of the rougher water. So that one was quick and easy. You know, you, you go into this thinking this is going to be the hardest, craziest thing, and that might have been the smoothest part of the whole day was the okay. trip. So quick note, what was your technique? you put on a quick wetsuit or what did you do? So I used just an upper wetsuit. So when it comes to, I wanted to keep the core protected mm-hmm. to, to reduce any chance of getting shock because that's what you want to avoid is the freezing cold water. Mm-hmm. You know, they recommend an ice bath be between 50 and 55 degrees and that's, this that's river the, is going to yeah. be that or maybe even a few degrees colder. Right. Note so, to listeners, because I obviously researched yeah. this before we attempted it, the water temperature stays almost the same all year round because it's dam release. Yep. Most streams are going to become quite warm late summer, early fall. But this is being released underneath Lake Powell. And so it's the bottom water from Lake Powell. And it's coming out about 55 degrees year-round. And in, in the middle of the winter, it might drop below that. In the middle of summer, it might go a little above that. But it doesn't change that much. And the flow doesn't change that much because it's basically dam release unless it rains a great deal. Yep. Uh, and then the side canyons start flowing. So just in case someone wants to try this, I thought I'd give them a quick logistical heads up on how this works. So by a wetsuit top, you mean not a shorty. You just put on a top only. Yep, and that was another thing that I figured I could get three, four minutes of extra time off. Is And, and I will also say this. Swimming a river like this is a lot like technical rock climbing. There are plenty of guys out there who can go into class five stuff with no rope and whip across it because they're so comfortable with it and that's what they do. And there's other people that should never attempt that if they're not roped up. The river should be treated the same way. In this case, I do a lot of cross-training swimming and I do it mostly in the form of repeats when I'm trying to stay in shape. So I'm not doing long cardio swims. I'm doing short, hard efforts. Ah. And, and if you cross where I cross in that area, it's a short, hard you're effort. only looking at about 60, 70 meters. Just, there's some wider spots, but it's pretty narrow there. So I treated this like a like essentially a 50-meter Olympic oh. time trial race where it's like, I'm going to get across fast. Uh, but one of the adventures we went on, uh, an ER doctor was one of the runners who joined us. And so in talking with her, she was just worried more about the shock factor. Interesting. Uh, so that, so I wanted to have something warm on my body to protect the upper, but I also spent a, a lot of time practicing. So there's a river here in Michigan that's cold, you know, just, just getting the feel of it. So again, much like fifth class rock climbing, if you've done the practice, you know what you're doing and you're comfortable, rock out. Well, you are a great example, Josh, of Jared and my conversation from a couple weeks ago when that was his term, rehearse, rehearse, mm-hmm. rehearse. Whatever the crux is, do it in advance. And you did just that. And I should say, Peter and I did just that too. We said, okay, is this going to work? We got our gear out. We went in Boulder Creek which is really cold. It's much smaller. But we just wanted to see what's going to happen when you yeah. jump into cold moving water. Because you don't want to experience it for the first time when you're out there in the middle of nowhere. Exactly. And, and this is... And there's river runners. So, so you'll see a lot of rafting people. Um, so, so maybe in the water, it's not that nobody's coming for weeks. Whereas if you're running the North Bass Trail, someone literally may not be coming for weeks. <laughs> like you need to be that prepared for some sort of emergency 
Um, but but yeah, you, there isn't margin for error in that river. And did you tow a dry bag? Yes. Okay. Yep. All right. So, and this was a large, I don't want to misspeak, but something like a 20 liter. It was huge. So it, it would support my entire weight holding on to it. Oh. So it essentially was almost like a life raft. It was like it was a so buoy. It, it, yes. Yep. Oh, I see. So you kept some air in it. Yes. Yes. So you actually had to blow this up. Uh, and it was probably as big as my torso all combined. And you just tried to flop on top of it? Well, no, I was swimming. That was more to keep because I had my spot tracker. Oh, so that just so it doesn't drag. So it's just bouncing along on top yeah, of the Yeah, so water. there's a little... I, I, I'm pretty sure the cow... I, I'm pretty sure I stole this from the Cowboys, the idea. If not, something very similar. But it actually... You can buy it on Amazon for 30 bucks, And it's got a, a belt that you just clip onto your waist. Oh. So I'm pulling the dry bag, but that's keeping my phone, my spot tracker, my GPS dry so nothing's going to happen to them. Everything else can get wet. That's fine. Um, but then in an emergency, I could also grab onto that as flotation. I see. Interesting. Okay. Well, I might go back myself, so I'm getting to learn the upgrades and technique. Then you got across with no problem. Then the North Bass Trail is, you know, it's kind of like a little path there, isn't it? Yeah, and... And just the the unfortunate aspect of it is I I ended up taking the White Creek variation, which is just Don't way do that. it's terrible. <laughs> Actually, Peter and I were watching that. So you sent the spot <laughs> tracker, and Peter said, "Oh, you went up White Creek." He said, "Oh, that's too bad. A lot of brush up White Creek." Yeah, it was, <laughs> and it was just my GPSs just weren't working well. The one of them just wasn't picking up the signal, and the other was updating every ten minutes. And what's crazy is even coming back a few days ago, I still went 100 meters past looking for it before I realized I'm too far and I just went straight up looking for it. So that turn for some reason just just got me. And when I had realized what had happened, I was far enough that I'm like, okay, this is technically a variation even if it's harder. I, I'd already been off too much. I'm just going to go. And yeah, I got I was just maimed by cactus. Doing that. I mean, just I, it looked like. 23 baby mountain lions just all tried to scratch and fight me for the entire it was it was i couldn't post it on facebook because it would violate the terms of of use it just looked so so nasty so i I finally you know got back on the main trail running through the beds uh, but yeah, it, it was it was wild. Do do not take that that variation. <laughs> oh, okay, that's a good call. And then you realize you're timing out, so you had to. Just like someone's going to summit Everest, you know, you can get within 650 feet of the top. You say, I got to flip it. And you made the call. You flipped it. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because in FKTs, there's setting the new FKT and then there's absolutely nothing, which I, is actually an appeal <laughs> to me. But it's not like, it's not like an ultra marathon where, hey, I got second place. I can say I'm on the podium. I have this cool medal. You know, I won a, you know, glass. You know, that, that doesn't exist in FKT world. So when it got to the point where I was at the time I needed to turn around to get to my flight anyway, if I was going to hit it and I was still a mile away, you, you know, it, it was just common sense. It's like there there's no point in the extra mileage just to say I did it. Um, so, yeah, I just I, th- I think that's also the mountaineering background where there is that cutoff. There's it, a cutoff. In running, there really isn't. But in mountaineering, it's like you. Yeah. When you know what's right and that's the time you got to go. You got to flip it. And you did, and you made the swim back across. Yep. And then uh, you kind of really timed out going up. Yeah, it was one of those things where I I was looking for the best way up. Because when you swim across the river, you then have to up climb, you know, kind of that river bed, which on the, the south side is. 
50 meters. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a yeah. good little climb. And that's in the Vishnu Schist. So it's, a, it's kind of a scratchy, uh, scrappy rock. Right. And so looking up at it, some look like, okay, maybe that's a class two or three scramble. But some of it is just straight vertical rock climbing, which I did not want to do pulling a dry bag, soaking wet in running shoes. <laughs> so I swam a little further west oh. than I would have liked and, oh. and just got into an even higher situation. It was really fun climbing, maybe class four. I, I mean, it was very enjoyable, but it, yeah, everything that could have taken extra time took extra time. <laughs> so by the time I got back there, I'm like, look, if you know, yeah. flight's not going to happen, I'll get a new one, whatever, life goes on. Um, but I'm just going to enjoy the sunset, you know, leisurely stroll up and, and take it from there. And that's when the epic began. Yeah, that, that's when things really, <laughs> really got crazy is I... The truck had a key fob, the electronic key fob, and I did not want that getting wet. So with the Colorado swims, I figured it was actually going to be more risky to take that with me. Plus, the South Bass Trailhead, no one's coming. Like, if you see a vehicle, that's that's a really busy traffic jam kind of day. Like, somebody's at the trailhead. Um, so I left the key on the, on the truck tire, you know, thinking, okay, this is completely safe, but now I know it's right here. Nothing's going to happen. So I get back and it's gone. Which, okay, now it's, you know, seven o'clock at night, the temperature's already freezing. And while I'm in, you know, I had a long sleeve tech shirt that uh, I forget what it's called. It's a Columbia thing that, that kind of traps in heat. So it was, it was warm for the conditions and running, but, you know, it was going to get down into the teens that night. I, you know, I had run out of water on the way up with my hydration pack. So you had no water. It was night and you couldn't find the key to the truck. Right. So I'm at one of the most remote trailheads in America. Uh, dehydrated, not much food, definitely not warm clothes. And it's like, you know, well, okay, what are you going to do? Like uh, an interesting thing that's always been in the back of my mind is one of the, the first speed records ever, and you might know their name, on the on all of the 14ers, um, that family that did it. It was oh. the guy and his sons back in the 70s. And, and I apologize, I forget their names. Um, but he would tell his sons, back, and this was before they were even established routes up half of these, you know, if you get yourself into something, get out, like get yourself out. Like right. you got into it, you get out. And that, that's just something that I've always kind of brought that approach to it. So it's like, okay, you got yourself into it. Here you are. Key fob's gone. I, I didn't think a human took it. I mean, no human was there and they would know that that could be a death sentence to some people. So I figured, okay, I, you know, animals have chewed up my car before, you know, the wires at trailhead. So, you know, I looked everywhere in brush, couldn't find it. So I figured the only thing I can do is just head to the Havasupai cabin 11 miles away. 11 miles away. That's that funny little gate where they collect $25 yep. to drive across the reservation. Yes. And that's 11 miles away in the middle of the night. Yep. So it turned into a 54-mile day. Uh, I, and I, I was tired. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to lie. That was a bit of a slog to like get all the way down there. So I get there you know, shortly before 1 a.m., uh, just hoping they could help. And again, I had my spot tracker on, so I, I wasn't going to die out there. I could hit the you know nuclear option of having a helicopter get me, but I don't want that bill. And I think even more than a $5,000 helicopter bill would be the pride thing of I had to have a helicopter come get me. Like that, that doesn't sit well. So I figured I'm at least going to make it to this hut, see what happens. And, th- and they were all just passed out snoring like no matter how well, loud so you knocked nothing happened so you just walked in the door yeah and i could hear the snoring so i knew there's people in here and i knew it would be warmer in there than it was outside so i, I kind of and the door was actually slightly 
a jar. So I just kind of opened it all the way and, you know, introduced myself and they were sleeping, couldn't hear me. My headlamp was on them. They slept right through it. I mean, they were just, they were just out. Wow. So I just sat there in the, in the cabin and waited for someone to wake up and then tried really hard not to freak them out that there was this white guy, like just hanging out in their cabin with them that wasn't there when they had, had gone to bed. Um, but yeah, they, they were exceptionally awesome people. So someone woke up and said, who are you? (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I can say on the podcast exactly what they said, but it started with holy and, uh, gotcha. So, so yeah, so I, I, you know, very timidly just explained the situation and they, they were, they were wonderful. They let me crash there for the night, put on a generator. We danced to a Ziggy Marley video all night, drank whiskey and, it ended up being like an incredible experience with some really, really cool people. And um, yeah, it, it it was wild and more adventure than I bargained That's for. That's a lot more adventure. That's uh, quite adventurous. Drinking whiskey at uh, 3 o'clock in the morning with some uh, Supai Indians. Wow, that's quite the story. And then, and by the way, we're going to link to your blog in the show notes, which is joshsanders.net. Yep verbally, but I'll put a, a written link as well. So you can read your trip report there. And then they drove you back to the trailhead. Yep. The next morning they offered, again, just wonderful people offered to drive me back there. And and one of the guys who leads hunts and guides uh, as part of his career speculated, you know, it's they probably didn't drag it in the bush. They probably just drug it into your car and shoot on it. An animal. Yeah, an animal. And sure enough, that like, there was this wiring harness about a foot up. And it was sitting in there and it had these little teeth marks all over the rubber of the key fob. Something just took it up there and shoot it. And with, with a headlamp at seven at night, eight at night when it's completely dark, like I, I was looking around in there but thinking it would have fallen down around. See, I, I never would have found it at night. But yeah, luckily that his intuition paid off. And sure enough, I was able to get out of there without some ridiculous you know, off-trail rescue. That would have been big. That would not have been fun, <laughs> yes. No, they... The helicopter ride would have been cheap <laughs> compared with the yes. tow truck. Yes, because there's not a tow truck getting back there. <laughs> wow, Josh, that is quite the adventure. So you missed your flight, and they had an amazing adventure. You can read about it on your blog, but you went back. You went. You spent, what, two or three weeks mulling this over, and you went back. Yeah, even, even the next day on the way home, you know, this, this year I've had all these goals, and I pulled them off one by one, and I've had some failures along the way. You know, summer and fall ultra marathons, I I lost. I was runner up in the first two attempts. So it's like, okay, well that stinks. But your goal is to win one each calendar season. So now you just have to go back and do it. Um, one of my um, we uh, Michigan FKTs, Potawatomi Trail. You know that I failed twice on before finally getting it. So so I just want to get. Um, these goals done, and so there. Even though that was an incredible an adventure, it was it just didn't sit with me to where I feel I could just leave it alone. It was like I I just wanted to go back. So you did go back. I did go back, <laughs> and you didn't. Twenty two days later. <laughs> Twenty two days. So you did the same routine. You flew into McCarran, Vegas. Yep. Drove, rented the four-wheel drive, drove the South Bass Trailhead. Well, this this I gave myself a little more time. Good you thinking. Live and learn. Live mm-hmm. and learn. So I actually got to a hotel and was able to get a full night's sleep. Oh. And then drive to the trailhead in the morning. Sleep. Technique. Yes. I know. Yeah. We're improving our, our process here. 
Uh, I also waited till twilight, so half hour before sunset when there was enough light to see because I just didn't want to deal. I feel like going downhill fast is harder with route finding than going uphill when you're just naturally going slower. So I figured no worries on trying to get out here early. Let's start right before sunrise when I can see, make sure I'm on point, and then I'll deal with the whole... You know, I just wanted to get across the river while it was still light, and then it can be pitch black the whole way up south. That's fine. Like right. that, I should be able to figure out a lot easier. So you made the swim. Yeah, and and let me just tell anybody who's ever thinking about the alt route. Yes. If it has rained or snowed recently within the last week, it is a different river. Mm-hmm. I thought it was underwhelming the first time I did it. There was so much other stuff that this is a wild, crazy route. Things are just going to happen on this route. But the river was a little tamer than I thought because I had built it up to be this thing. So this time I'm thinking, oh, no big deal on the river. I've done this before. you know. But I get down there and it's just murky, brown. It is moving faster. It's higher. It, was, it definitely caught me off guard with how different that was with getting you know a couple inches of rain and some snow melt in the previous week. So the side, river. the side canes were running and they're flushing out the yep. murk. Yep. Okay. And, and that just it just had a totally different feel that freaked me out a little. Right. Plus, it's really hard to filter that water. Yes. So, and and I had planned to. I, I actually took my hydration pack about two thirds full to save a pound, pound and a half of water on the way down, and then was going to fill once I got over that seven hundred foot. Uh, ridge climb to get into White. Shinu- yeah. Yes, Sh- that is what- Shimuno, yeah. Yeah, so to get and then once I got into that creek, then I'd I'd fill up. So I have a process where with my hydration backpack, I just pull it off and kind of scoop the water into it, pour in some tailwind and I'm gone. So it, so that's quick, but yeah, I didn't want to mess with the Colorado River water. No, you can't. Yeah. Just <laughs> just it's sandy and muddy. I like, got that would not be good. No, you you'd get you could not filter one liter before the filter clogged. Yeah. Okay, so then you start up this time. Did you make the uh, turn? You had to look for the turn off again. Yeah, so this time I actually made it to the top of that little ridge to descend down by the time I had even made it to the river last time. Okay. So I was way over half an hour ahead of schedule this time. So this time I was good. And one thing I should say is I had been battling a a little stomach bug all the previous week. So I was really concerned about how this was going to go. So I decided, you know, I'm just going to take this. I'm going to grind all day. But I'm gonna just take what the day gives me and stay under control the whole time. I'm not gonna good call. I'm not gonna kill myself early, um, and I I mean I I sprained my ankle badly uh, on the first. Like I, I actually have a picture. I'll, I'll post the blog uh, that I write up on this to the FKT site. So if you look at the okay. the alt site, I'll post it in the comments there. But I have a picture that shows you what my foot, my ankle and feet look like after, and it, it couldn't even fit in a shoe. Uh, so luckily, kind of limp jogging a mile loosen that up and I, and I was able to just kind of keep going it happened so early i'm like i may as well just go and see what happens i can always turn around and go back if i want but but that that wasn't good and neither was the uh just general sickness of the previous week uh, but i was feeling pretty good and i and i was like i said a good half an hour up i did miss that turn off i knew where it was i just couldn't quite find it so i, I quickly realized it it maybe cost me a minute but that's a tricky turn as you're kind of going back and forth I think maybe looking at my GPS three or four times, I went back and forth across the creek because it just winds through the canyons. Interesting. Uh, and then you made it up and you tagged the North Rim. Yeah, so I, I had to make an interesting decision because I, 
At, I only took one fall all day, but landed right in the middle of my right ribs. So I don't know if I hit a rock or if I hit like my little pill bottle of water treatment pills, but but it was it, it was a good fall um, that that really got the ribs. So like I was having really bad pain there and side stitches it, and the weather. It's interesting because one of the things I love about FKTs versus a race is if there's a race, you sign up for that race in advance and at 7 or 8 a.m. that day, it's happening. With an FKT, what's cool is if you're not having a good day, if you had a little stomach virus or if your training just kind of stinked or you want an extra training day or you want to bump it up because of weather, do whatever you want. Right. So I, I love that aspect of FKTs. But when you're arranging flights and hotels in advance, that's the one time that, that doesn't count. So it was the day was going poorly and you kept going anyway. I, I don't even want to say poorly because it was so much better than last time. <laughs> but there there just there was that bad twist that just jacked up the ankle and, and I just wasn't feeling good from the one fall. And if you can run this route and not fall, you're you're incredible. Like that's ridiculous. Um, like you'll trip and stumble a few times uh, on this technicality. Uh, but for me, it was also the weather forecast is it was going to get way too hot in the canyon, upper 60s. You know, every day it seemed they would up the temperature. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they added a wind advisory the night before. So I knew I was going to go back straight into a pretty fierce wind and it was going to be really hot. Um, so with, with just that side stitch of rib, which, which was really hurting, uh, I was starting to, once I made kind of those first few big ascents, uh, that's when I started to puke and, the, and my stomach just wasn't feeling right when my heart rate was getting really high. So, so I had to kind of make that decision of I can get the, the rim-to-rim FKT here. Um, you know, the, the Cowboys didn't list that, but it's very well documented that 609 is the fastest across. So I was like, I'm just going to go push through this, get that, and then on the way back, be safe. I see. Because this, this is one of those routes where if if – you're not going to make it or there's a very little chance that you're going to make it, I would normally be all about that. Like that's what I want is give me the low odds and let me fight. But on this route, it's like you just need to survive, get across that river safely. Um, so yeah, just with, with the stomach thing not right, I, I got up in 5, 51, and 27 seconds. That's good. That's fast. Yeah, I felt really good about that. That was probably eight, It was a little over 18 minutes faster than the Cowboys did it. Luckily, they took a lot of time at the river to kind of transition into wetsuits, so so that was my big advantage there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I certainly held my own on the run portions too uh, to get up there, and there was three inches of snow uh, up from the mauve saddle, so that oh. it was it was tricky. There was a lot of down brush. Uh, well, well, November it's getting late in the yeah, season, yeah, obviously. So you made the north rim, you tagged that under duress, if I may, <laughs> and then you didn't hightail it back down. You had to take it a little bit easy. Yeah, I, just, I really just kind of let my body dictate it, and those first five or six miles down were terrible. Like just, they weren't fast. I wasn't moving very well. Uh, so by the time I got all the way back to the Colorado River, I just beat 10 hours. So that would have given me two hours and 20 minutes to get up the North Rim to get the record. And that just wasn't going to happen for me today. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if I was fresh and, you know, that's what I was doing today, sure, absolutely. But it was not going to happen. So, 
Uh, I got across the river, and then it started to rain. <laughs> Which and is very uncommon. Very uncommon. Mm-hmm. And also the temperature just plummeted. Mm. So it was, I, I probably, right about sunset, with about seven miles to go, it started to rain, maybe 35, 36, 37 degree rain. And that's the temperature, that's the conditions one cannot stay warm. If it snows, right. you know, you have on your repellent jacket and it all just slides off. But rain at 35 degrees is going to penetrate. Yeah. The way I wrote it in my trip report, which I'll post soon, is it mercifully turned to snow two hours later. Okay. It was like, right. I and I kept like waiting. Like I, I had, I was actually in uh, a tank, kind of like a running jersey because it was so hot. And, and I'm working so hard going up. So I wasn't going to kill myself. I've got my 100 mile debut in five weeks. So I'm like, look, this is, there's, I'm not catching the guys, but this will definitely be the second fastest time ever. And it will be the fastest solo because this is one of those routes where solo is such a bigger commitment than almost any other route yeah. um, that you can possibly do. It so, is solo. Yeah. yeah. I mean, no one is coming. No one. So, And so you just ground it out. Yeah, just ground it out. It turned to snow, which was... Did, it, you, did you carry your car keys this time? No, no, what I did is I wrapped them in a waterproof bag and then set about a dozen big rocks on ah. them in the truck bed. <laughs> okay. it, it was like my overcompensation middle finger to whatever marmots were you know, messing with it last okay. time. So you, you got up there, and uh, so the Cowboys did it in, uh, what was it, 12.20. Yep. And what was your time? I was 14.01. Wow, so you just had to, man, you were at a sprained ankle, you had to side. And it, yeah, the, yeah the, the rib's definitely broken. Like, I'll get the x-ray, but having broken the rib previously on a trail run, this is way worse. So it's it's definitely a good good shot. And it was the breathing that was hard. It's, it's with the lung, you'll get Josh, that. Josh, you really persevered. This is stunning. <laughs> well, you persevered just to go back a second time, but you persevered like crazy on both of these efforts, really. Yeah, and... You know, that that's my favorite thing I think I've ever heard in ultra running is Joe Grant when he was talking about Nolan's 14. Mm. And he's like, after it's done, you can mine for the meaning of it. But when you're actually in it, it's about surviving and just going for it and guts and grit. And, and I just, I thought that was brilliant because I, I want to get the meaning out of it. I, I want to find out who I am when I'm down there. But, but I think that's all introspection after it's done when you can kind of reflect on it but in that moment you know it it took probably two three hours for me to realize okay that's probably broken and and even with that sprain and it ballooning up in my shoe it's like okay if i can limp this off in a mile keep going it's just it's like i've got this objective as long as i feel i'm being safe like i'm gonna I'm going to go for this. Wow. You've got some good mottos here, Josh. Here we come all the way back to my hometown <laughs> in Michigan and learn all about FKTs from you. This is good stuff. These are amazing stories. Yeah. And, and it was a wind advisory. So when it, it turned to snow, got into the 20s, it was single digit, 35 mile an hour wind chills. I'm soaked to the bone. I finally make it out. And, and I didn't run up the, the no, no. south rim. It was one of those things where it's like, it's dark, it's snowy. You're clearly going to get second first solo, but definitely not the overall FKT don't kill yourself. There's no reason. Um, so I just, you know, power hiked up, took way too long, you know, ended up being over an hour and a half behind the overall. But, you know, I, I'm I'm very at peace with this. Yeah. I, I wasn't at peace last time and now I'm at peace. Right. So you're not going back next week. Not a chance. <laughs> Good. So then. If, if you were saying yes, it would be an intervention. <laughs> yeah. There's a difference between uh, being respectfully 
adamant about challenging goals and just being completely insane. <laughs> there is, isn't there, Josh? Now, where we draw that line sometimes is a little hazy. Right, and most most people would say I draw it quite clearly on the other side of the haze. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, so once again, I, I get to the truck and, and, and the adventure happens again. Like, oh, I yeah. think I've come through all of this. Oh, I thought you were. Oh, oh, no, no. I just made it to the truck. That's oh, not nearly the, the, end the, of the, the story. truck wasn't the end. No, the truck was there and my key was there, which was <laughs> lovely. So I, I took all the boulders I get in. Oh, like, it was snowing. Yeah, here's the deal. There's mud on that road. Now. It rained for two hours. Oh, that then was... froze solid and then snowed one to two inches on top of it. Oh, yeah. That mud does not like that. No. So, and, and when you're on that trailhead, there's that little hill, maybe 20 feet of vertical over 100 yards, right? I could not get up that. Could not get up it at all. And my plan was to leave my spot tracker in the dashboard and just leave it running because last time some people got worried because I I didn't show up to town when I normally would have. So you could see from spot that I was on the rim, uh, but I didn't want people to worry because that was a ridiculous situation last time. So I'm more worried about what other people are thinking even though I'm happy warm in my truck eating two-day-old stale donuts and, and have water. So... <clears throat> Yeah, I I tried three or four times to get up this hill and just could not. So I I go back down to the flat spot and and I say a little prayer. And it's like, Lord, please don't let me make it up this if I'm going to get stuck in a worse spot. (laughs) Because that spot is like manageable. I could wait the next day for it to thaw out and and figure out a way. But in that snow and ice, if you kind of get into some of those really risky spots, you could be in some serious... You, you would have to wait till late April for it to dry out. <laughs> Which I'm assuming might be cheaper to just buy the truck than have to pay that rental fee for six months. Uh, but yeah, so it I ended up just resting until I stopped shivering. And about 30 minutes later, just gave it one last heave-ho and made it up. And, and yeah, it took about an hour to make it the seven miles just to actually get past that pasture wash road. Um, and there were times it'd be I was almost sideways on the road, but just trying to gun it to keep from going into the the drainage. So it was it was wild just getting out of there. Josh, so, this, yeah, okay. Well, I was gonna say often, hey, let's do something together sometime. But now I'm, not, <laughs> I'm kind of uh, I'm, I'm having to guard my thoughts on this <laughs> one. Uh, but you're in fantastic planning, guts, determination, skill, and uh, you're a very fit man too. So. I appreciate your modesty. Almost everyone on this show is modest, but you get a lot done, Josh. Yeah, it's and it, for me, it's the adventure. Like mm-hmm. I'm never going to beat Jim Walmsley at any distance ever. I mean, well, almost nobody is, but especially <laughs> me. But that doesn't mean I can't have elite adventures and do elite things. Ooh, that's a good one, but it doesn't mean... So hopefully more people from the Midwest and other parts of the country who don't live in uh, Marin or Boulder, or Flagstaff are listening to this and saying, yeah, it's opportunity. Opportunity is everywhere for everybody. Yeah, and I think that's the single greatest thing about FKTs, is even if it's your local, say, Michigan, the Pottawatomie Trail or the Manistee River Trail, which is just a beautiful trail, you know, Walmsley doesn't own that one. Mm -hmm. He's got better things to do. But you can get that, and you can have your name, and you can have that, that piece of you accomplish something truly great. Well, you're a great spokesperson. Something else that you've started doing, I think you started doing some time ago, is each time you set an FKT, you've made a donation. Yeah, much like a race fee. Like, yeah. you know, you've got that budget is, hey, you know, you guys are obviously taking time. And 
you know, out of your day administrative time and it costs money to host and, and put all these things up. So I, I figure the least I can do is send, you know, a few bucks over just to help with the cost of running it because this is a cool opportunity for people like me. Well, New York City Marathon, I think it's $300 <laughs> entry fee. So if you did, anyone did 10% or 5% of that when they set an FKT or did something, then that would be a nice little donation to keep the show on the road. Yeah. Moab 240 is what, 1000 1200 bucks? Oh, it is? Oh, yeah, it's pricey. <laughs> okay. So I could just do, you know, <laughs> dozen FKTs or that. Nice, nice. Well, good call, Josh. And you're you're so good at this. I really appreciate this because you did something else that we are going to adopt on the website, which is the Michigan Triple Crown. This is a clever thought. Yeah, there's as FKTs get more popular, there's going to be more routes. So obviously, you've got the Grand Canyon, you've got the John Muir Trail. Those are epic, incredible, amazing routes where that's a big time deal, and and some of the best professionals in the world have those. But we also are having smaller and smaller trails, which is great because the, the site and the movement is growing. But how do we on a local level kind of determine what the really cool ones are? So so what we did is is we have this little ultra running group and we just opened up a poll to vote. What, what three do you think are the most iconic, meaningful uh, FKTs in the state of Michigan. Nice. And so they came in and, and there were basically four that rose above the top uh, and we, we chose the top three that way, just a group poll, but those are the three that are the triple crown. So they were hoping that that can carry a little more weight and maybe we'll attract some of the regional runners who might look at, say, the Manistee River Trail, which, by the way, is beautiful. Yeah. Like, everyone <laughs> in the Midwest should do this trail just to run how beautiful this trail is. But... You know, maybe somebody who's, you know, a regionally elite guy that might not think w- would see how competitive this is getting and, and have that Triple Crown associated. And we can get stronger, tougher times on some of these more meaningful state and regional routes. Think globally, act locally. Absolutely. Yeah. So Michigan. So folks, hopefully there will be, this will appear on the website sometime in early 2020 the Michigan Triple Crown of FKTs, which they established. I don't think we're going to establish it. This will be a ground-up uh, support-type issue. And if other people want to do this, feel free to write in to info at fastknowntime.com, and we, we can, I'll respond and tell you how to set that up. And hopefully we'll establish a place on the website to track your local projects so we can localize this because it's it is a global phenomenon for sure. I mean, you ought to see what's coming in. We had two come in from Poland just yesterday. We've had a couple from Namibia, and so to make it a little more local is uh, is really what it's about. So that way you're finding your own meaning. Yeah, and and the more competitive you can make these local routes, the the better that's going to be. Because when you, you know, even this route, you know, seeing Walmsley, Ferrex, that makes it so much more attractive to go after. Um, than say Josh Sanders, <laughs> and you know, hopefully, like I'm getting enough and and doing them uh, stout enough that that people are going to take that more seriously, and we we can get better and better people going after these records. Excellent, Josh. I look forward to next time. There might, I think, with you, there is going to be a next <laughs> fastest known podcast. I hope so. Thanks, Josh. Absolutely.